Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I am doing great, doing great. Uh, Maybe we should uh, take a minute here at the beginning of the program and kind of alert our listeners uh, about uh, our difficulty getting the uh, earlier shows from this week posted. We have done shows uh, all week. Um, Blog Talk Radio had some technical difficulties earlier in the week that we think may be connected to the Amazon servers being down. Not 100% sure about that. And I'll tell you... uh, Sidebar, I, I had some trouble using eFileMyForms.com, too. I was doing some tax stuff, and that's a site that I right. used for that, and that wasn't working. So a lot of stuff was down. I think that's probably what happened to Blog Talk, Talk Radio. They appear to be up and running, and we think by the time um, tonight rolls around, we should have everything everything caught up and everything should be in place. If not, check again this weekend if all the shows aren't there. We're, we're working behind the scenes to... Uh, to get them all up, and they will all be up sooner or later. And, and you know what, Stephen, they're just awesome shows. I mean, just... <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. Right? <laughs> you don't want to miss any of these shows. Well, you know, the Tuesday show, that was you and Michael Darling hosting, okay? That was, you know, yeah. a, a, a show from from 10 years ago. You guys talking about Star Trek tech. Uh, I just, I, I don't know if you've seen the slideshow for that. I, it just got up, but uh, it's the... Uh, I, I found a nice image of the bridge of the Enterprise-D I just, uh, you know, awesome. that's that's for you and Michael, you know, just <laughs> just because, that I, you know, that that was, I could just picture you guys standing there doing that show, and also a surprise guest calls in at the end of that show, so you you really want to you want to give that one a listen, and and then Wednesday we did this uh, human lifespan times ten plus. Did we just completely forget? Isn't March first so called Future Day, right? And we forgot yeah, to even say yeah. anything about it. So happy belated Future Day, everybody! It's always Future Day in the world transform, of course, but. Uh, um, that day's not getting enough uh, juice, is it? I, I don't. I don't feel like people are really on well, board with what, Future what, Day yet. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we need to plan something big for next year. You know, uh, just really future it up on that day. I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah, figure we something out. We should. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we got a year to plan. So, um, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> you know, and then. Um, March 27th, or excuse me, February 27th next year, be like, oh, dude, what are we going to do for Future Day? But that's okay. It'll that's be seamless. It tends to be, yes. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll be completely seamless. Everybody will, uh, you'll all enjoy it. All right, well, anyway, so sorry sorry about the lag on the shows. We, we've got great, uh, we got great stuff for you all week. And, of course, Friday night is no exception. We've got a fun show tonight. We're calling it Don't Fear the Robots. We've got some great robot-related news to talk about, and then we're going to geek out a little with our other geek feature and let's just let's dig into it. Don't fear the robots. The first story, reinforcement learning. Um, actually, I got two stories here on reinforcement learning. The first one is just kind of a uh, it was over on Technology Review, just kind of a catch up on what that's all about. And the lower story uh, is a revisit of something we've talked about before, which is how these systems have used reinforcement learning to play, learn to play Atari games. Uh, if, if, if you want a if you want a great example of how reinforcement 
learning works follow that link. But it's it's very interesting uh, the progress that's being made. We know that the when the human Go champion fell to an AI last year, the reason that happened was because of reinforcement learning. There was no other there was no other AI way to teach a computer to play Go. All you can do is you know a, a methodology that you might think of as like the ultimate trial and error, right? It's just you try everything and some things work and some things don't and and the things that work you keep. That's that's basically what reinforcement learning is. Uh, the the best human go players they they have have a, have a tough time um, verbalizing why are a particular move is a good move and a, and another move is a is a bad move. It's almost like you play enough and you begin to feel your way to the right, you know right. to, to success in those games and. Uh, so basically, they had the AI play so many games, of, you know that you know it's ten lifetimes worth of, of games, right? And much more right. than uh, a, a human could do, and uh, and so you know they obviously they get they get better than than the best human uh, Go players over that, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, games of Go or more, right? So right. Well, if you if you use the example, the, the kind of easier to get your head around example of playing Atari games. These yeah. these kind of simple video games from the I guess late seventies early eighties. We know that some people are awesome at those games. Some some people have completely mastered those games, and they did it through you know learning the tricks, maybe reading up on it, or just playing and playing and playing and playing, and getting the hang of it. But the strategies that the computers came up with beat any any strategy that anyone had ever come up with before. It's it's the you know the ultimate. Um, winning breakout or winning uh, Ms. Pac-Man or whatever the Atari 2600 games are. I'm not sure what, what, what games are included in that, in that collection, but, but these, these programs did it just by, you know, basically by, by putting their controller at every possible position in the screen at every possible time. I mean, I don't know if there's any other way of saying it than that. They just tried everything. And if you try everything, you find, (laughs) you find some really unexpected stuff, Um, you know, especially in, in games that that are designed around some expected parameters of behavior, even even when the programming is done with all that in mind, it, weird things pop up now and then, and you hear you hear about strange stuff. For example, uh, we, we might in other geek talk about this book, Ready Player One, a little bit. I have a little bit of an update on that, but but I was reading that, uh, listening to actually on Audible that book uh, earlier this week. And got to the part about the the video game Tempest, and yeah. uh, interesting little fact in Tempest, the first release of it because they fixed this after the first release. But when this game first came out, uh, how did it work? If you had a score that ended in a one of several a digits, three that was, oh, or, yeah. yeah, I think it might have been a three or something. If you uh, or, or some sort of multiple of three or something like that, if you had a score that ended in a certain digit. It would give you over 180,000, I think. Um, yeah. And if you died with that score, and and ended the game with that score, it would give you 40 free games. Now, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I read that and I go, that can't be true. And of course, I looked it up, and it sounds like it was true. That, that actually, that yeah, I actually, think, I think it was. That did happen with and, that game. You look at that and you go, could that have been an accident? Could something like that just fall out of the code? Or was that something that uh, somebody built in? I actually don't know. I didn't. I didn't research it. But it's that kind of thing that that 
um, reinforcement learning is revealing in, uh, in you know there's no stone is left unturned inside these games there's 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 you know whether it's built in by design or whether it's some odd flaw of the coding uh, it all comes out right and 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 these games become you know just the ultimate playing machines they they can play games like atari then you take it up in a huge notch and they can play things like go and and beat as you said Stephen, a game that humans can't even really articulate how to play. That's always been the thing that frustrated me about Go, is no one could ever explain it to me, you know? Yeah. It's why like, is this a good move, and why is this not, <laughs> oh, this is move over here not a good move? Or well, you've got to get a feel for it, and it's like, well, how? Yeah. If you don't even know what's good, uh, you know, how do you get a feel for it? You just have to play a lot, I guess. Well, <laughs> and that's what's interesting about this, this business with the Atari. They, nobody explained anything to the, to the AI that was learning how to play these games, right? I mean, it was it's it's just like it just it was very much like my Atari experience, Phil. Uh, here's here's yeah. a, a video game machine. Go nuts, kid. Well, that was pretty much. You know. I mean, yeah. Basically, they told they told this AI scoring a lot of points is good. Try to do that. Yeah. That's it, right? That 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 was yeah. <laughs> that was the the extent of its training. Um, the rest of it was completely self-trained, um, and. And, and that's and that's what it came up with. I, I I think the training was a little more directed and pointed, probably, and go. But um, even so, it was doing things that it was making moves that humans were looking at, going, "Oh, that can't be right," and then and then winning the game. So, right. Reinforcement learning, it's it's one step short, I think, of when AI becomes just almost spooky. When it yeah. becomes when it becomes smart in ways that we just can't predict and we can't account for. We'll, we'll, look at computer, we'll look at robots doing things, we'll think that, that robot's crazy, and then we'll say, oh, no, that robot just saved the planet, or that robot just, wait, stole well, my the job. One, you know? I, the only reason I, I would say it's not completely spooky is it's such a narrow range, right? I mean, uh, it's, not, it's not like it, uh, the, the Go robot or the Go AI um, it's free to to be the best at anything it wants to be. It's that's only right. good at, within only a context. Free. You're right. With, yeah. Within a given domain. That's right. Right. There, there, there's no you know there's no general reinforcement learning, <laughs> which is kind of what we engage in um, as babies, right? Just, right. You know, learning whole, everything by reinforcement. Um, right. We're all scientists uh, <laughs> when we're born, and uh, we we do experiments to to figure out what reality is all about and you know uh and and uh, there's none there's no ai like that yet no there's no ai like that yet yeah. but we did talk about agi a couple of weeks ago and we're closing in on that and and i think the deep learning stuff is really going to play a major role in that i i i can't help but feel that that that's kind of what's pushed us well it's like monica anderson said that in her view Real AI began about about uh, 2012, right? About about yep. the time the the deep learning stuff really really kind of kicked off. That's that's kind of the the driver now of AI generally. And I think as we get closer to AGI, that's going to be the thing that gets us there. But I think reinforcement learning is going to is, is going to have a huge role to play there too. But it's all going to add up to, as I was about to say, robots that steal our jobs, or do they? Because we got this piece. Uh, interesting piece over on uh, fee.org. I don't, I'm not even sure where, where I found this story. Uh, it, it, 
the, uh, we, we took our, the name of our show from this story, Fear Not the Robots, Jobs Aren't Scarce. And this is a kind of a philosophical treatise on why we're worrying too much about robots taking jobs away. Um, let me just let me read a little bit. Um, the flip side of the scarcity proposition, one that economists and others usually ignore, is that limitless consumption desires relative to production resources, excuse me, productive resources, means the number of tasks for people to do is also limitless. Jobs aren't scarce, exclamation point. They are limitless, as sure as consumption desires relative to productive resources are limitless. The notion that there is a fixed number of tasks or jobs to do at any point in time is bogus. Ditto for the notion that job opportunities can fall. A community's economic ladder always has more rungs to climb. So that's the argument. The argument is the robots will take jobs away, but there's always more jobs. So even if robots become, if you're a cake baker and robots become better at you than baking cakes and can sell better cakes cheaper, yes, you will lose your cake baking gig, but there's, there's another job out there for you somewhere, a cake designer or, you know, cake wholesaler or something like, you know, some, something along those lines or, or something completely different, right? But be, because what people want is endless, um, the tasks needed to, perf- you know, to be performed to meet those needs, also endless. Therefore, you can never run out of jobs. What do you think of that argument, Stephen? I think it's naive. Um, I, you know, just because uh, my my desires for you know goods or services or whatever might might be relatively uh, endless doesn't mean that um, the robots won't erode the job market and eventually erode it to zero. If if uh, you know if an AI or robot uh, is able to do to be a driver, then you know then you've lost a whole bunch of jobs there, right? If, if you've got, uh, you know, all the, all the driving jobs go to, go to the robots, that, you know, that's a whole group of people that are now searching for jobs, yep. and they're chasing after uh, the fewer and fewer jobs. That as, as more and more jobs are taken over by robots that can do them better, that don't need to ever take a break, don't need vacation, um, don't, don't ask for a salary, right? I mean, you know, you, you pay the upfront cost of installing it or whatever, putting it in place to do the job. And then, uh, you know, you just have to do maintenance. That's the, in lieu of a salary and benefits and, every, and, and you know, uh, having a bad day, showing up with a hangover. You know, the, you don't have those problems with machines. And I think ultimately uh, the, the, those machines do cost jobs. And to pretend otherwise, are, are, I just don't buy that argument even a little bit. And, uh, I, and I'm an optimist, so I would love to buy that argument, but I, I just don't. Well, he definitely says people lose their jobs. He doesn't say they don't lose yeah. their jobs. Um, but, but he says there will be more jobs. He is saying there's, uh, you know, there will be more jobs. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't see that. I don't see that. I mean, if, um, if uh, whole areas of the job market are wiped out um, – well, give you a, give you a real simple simple uh, for example. I, I think it was in the later uh, the later uh, Willy Wonka movie, the uh, Tim Burton Willy Wonka. Um, you know, the the father of the family, or, or one member of the family, was his job was to put the lids on toothpaste tubes. Okay, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and of course, his his job was taken over by a robot. Right. And eventually, at the end of the at the end of the movie, um, he gets the job fixing the robot 
that took over his job, right? Right, right. And so a uh, happy ending. Well, here's the problem with that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, if, if, the, if the line had uh, 50 people on it before, you know, putting uh, the tubes on, you know, the, the lids on the toothpaste, you know, um, and his job is now to fix that one robot that, you know, took all of those 50 jobs, right? Yep. How often does he need to work? <laughs> I mean, how often right. is this thing breaking down? Probably not that often. So, you know. Plus, he's one out of fifty who got a job out of the deal. That's right. One out you of know, fifty, the, and he he might he might end up doing thirty minutes of work once a month, you know, to fix right. do maintenance on that robot. So, I, you know, um, that's I just don't I just don't buy that. That's I think it's it's just happy talk. I don't you know, and again, I consider myself an optimist, and I just can't I can't see that. I am cautiously optimistic that this guy is onto something because I definitely agree that there's no end to what we what we want. That that right. achieving I'm one on thing opens up that we're gonna they're, we're gonna want to do a, a lot more things, and we're certainly capable of doing much more than we were before. Here's to me where it gets all bunched up is we are on a fairly sharp rising cap- capability curve. The robots are on a straight line. Okay, they're on the they're on the handle of the hockey stick, right? I mean, <laughs> the, the, it, 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 just because there's going to be a lot more stuff we can do doesn't mean the robots won't do those things better too, right? I mean, that's the right. that, that's the problem. Um, how do we stay ahead of them? I don't know that we do. I don't know that. The, the other problem is, yes, there's there's an there's an endless number of jobs to do, but only some jobs pay. Um, you know, a, a lot of people blog for a hobby. Just a few people make a pretty good living blogging, for example, right? Right. It, it's only a job for the ones who make a living blogging, but it's created work, if you want to call it work, for millions of people, right? Um, yeah. The, the, the thing is, there's lots more to do, but there's not lots more that necessarily generates a living. So that's the problem. The jobs he's talking about that get created, some of them may actually be paying jobs that you could live on, but I think that's the vast minority of them. And I'm, it's not clear to me that we end up getting more of those than we had before. Up to now, we have. We always have. Every time, every time we cleared one hurdle in uh, automation and a bunch of jobs got eliminated, there were even more jobs created, so it was all good. Everything, everything that this guy is describing in this piece has been true until now, and now it seems like nah, I don't know that it is. I'd like to think it is. Um, I'd like, I'd like to think there's a way that you can just, you know, keep empl- you know, just keep raising people up the value chain in employment. Right. But to your point, I certainly don't see it happening. Right. Um, you know, and 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 maybe. Maybe we have another corner to turn before before we do start to see that happening, but but I, I have to I have to agree with you. I think in you know um, in the in the long term, as far as actually people having a job, I'm not persuaded that that there's good news on that score. I think that that what we're what we're facing is a lot of people going to lose jobs, and the newly created jobs aren't going to necessarily be the big payoff we're hoping for. Hope I'm wrong. Well, I hope this guy's well, right, but yeah, I don't think so. I, I do too. Um, I, I think that um, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we merge with our technology, which is what Ray Kurzweil has always said. Yeah, uh, that's 
that's the way forward. But anyway, um, the the argument that I, I I'm trying to make uh, is uh, I'm, I'm inspired by the book uh, The Lights in the Tunnel by Martin Ford, who was a yep. uh, guest on our show. We we might have that as a uh, as a rerun show maybe next week sometime. It's kind of um, uh, that was that was a good show. And uh, well, we're, we're going through in chronological order, so it'll probably be later in the oh. summer. But it, 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 okay. It, it, okay, it's coming up. Got that right. to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying. Okay, yeah, I just uh yeah, the lights in the tunnel his uh that that's he he, he uh in that book uh makes the argument that you know, um accelerating technology shuts down the jobs. That's pretty much it. I mean, uh <laughs> ultimately Now, here's it, I mean, it ultimately it costs you know, it costs less and less to produce more and more. And so whatever money you do have stretches miles further uh, in that economy than it would now, okay? Because uh, in, in production, is you, you eliminate the costs of production, a large portion of it, by automation. So right. if you, to the extent that you are able to earn money in any capacity, anywhere, uh, that money goes miles in, a, in an economy like that. But it's uh, I, I, just regular jobs tend to go away. Um, and and are, that's that's Martin Ford's argument there. So, yeah, I, I think I think the the one the the one glimmer of hope that this this guy could be wrong and that maybe Martin or excuse me this guy could be right and maybe Martin is is wrong and we're both wrong is that it's possible that these changes in the economy actually have opened up huge opportunity, but we're just not set up to to capitalize on it yet. We're set up to work at jobs. Right, we're 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 still an economy based on that idea, and we've still got people mostly who've come from that world where you go to school and then you get a job, rather than you create five different micro businesses all doing little things. So it could be that the economic opportunity is there, and that in the end we figure out how to how to get a handle on it, and everybody does end up a lot better off doing interesting, important things. Um, but they they won't necessarily be jobs in the old sense in the old, you know, you get, you interview and you, and you get hired on and you show up and you punch a card. There'll be opportunities that people have created for themselves. And not everybody's good at that, but yeah. there was a time that not everybody was good at showing up at a factory every day. And society actually had to change, right? So that, uh, so, so that people could do those kinds of things. It could be just a big growing pain adaptation that we have to make. Well, well Maybe. it, it, we'll it sounds like a coffee shopification type uh, world. Too. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if you're, just hanging out in the coffee shop, and uh, job opportunities come, you know, one way or another um, uh, in, in those contexts. And uh, you have ad hoc groups that uh, do this project, and you know, and you have a different mixture of a group doing something else, uh, maybe almost simultaneously. So, it's just uh, whatever whatever project that uh, you know blows through your coffee shop by by way of uh, some sort of uh, virtual world, right? You yeah. uh, you just join in uh, with different groups and do stuff and get paid for it. So so, so maybe there's some way we all coffee shopify our careers and end yeah. up doing quite well. Here's hoping. All yeah. right. Meanwhile, nothing nothing will make that easier than this virtual assistant hound that can make you an espresso while it reads your football scores. Okay. So <laughs> I was reading up on hound. It sounds like hound has it all over. Siri and Google, and they mentioned Cortana here. I haven't done much with with Cortana. I use Siri and and, uh, Google quite a bit. But Hound is the first 
virtual assistant that they say actually grasps context. Um, it remembers your preferences, and um, if you're having a conversation, it remembers the last thing you said. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Siri does not remember the last oh, thing you I've, said. Oh, I've noticed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this does. It, it will look at the whole conversation. It will actually try to make sense of what you just said in light of what you guys were talking about previously. And that is a huge step, even if it does it really ineffectively. Uh, even if it does it really badly, that's a huge step because that's missing currently from things like Google and, and Siri, and it's one of the defining yeah. characteristics of actually interacting with another person. It's what makes you feel like you're interacting with another person is you say something, I say something back, you say something back related to that, I say something back related to that first thing you said, right? And now it's all kind of tied together. Um, up to now, we've not had that with AIs. So this makes a this this makes a huge difference. I'm I'm eager to see what this thing's all about. Uh, I, I want to get a device that has it and give it a try, because it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just simple things. Uh, Siri, uh, you know, or Alexa. Uh, I would I would you know ask uh, to play it again, whatever song was just playing or something, and uh, and you know it, it, the AI would just play a song named it again you know <laughs> right. <laughs> you know rather than uh repeat the song just play it, it it's funny uh the limit the limitations are pretty pretty stark that said i still love i still love these uh these voice operated systems they, they, there's it's far as, as weak as they are they're far preferable to not adding one I, right I do, I do enjoy them so uh, for sure. But I, I'm looking forward to the day when you have one you can say, hey, Hound, or whatever your name is, did you do the thing? And be like, yes, I did, you know, to actually know of what course, you meant. Of, yeah. of course I did. And, uh, you know, why do you keep asking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, gives a little, it gives a little attitude like John. Yeah, it gives you a little attitude back. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did those guys go to that place and get that thing that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and know what you mean, right? When yeah, you, even you exactly. can't articulate it. I think that, that that will be cool. So so by and large, we're not we're not fearing the robots. We're looking forward to the reinforcement learning bringing about all kinds of cool things. Uh, I'm not reassured that jobs aren't going away, uh, but I am looking forward to the uh, houndified coffee machine. I, I, I like the idea of a coffee machine. You just talk to. You just come up and have a conversation with it. You know, talk about how it's. Uh, that seems like a lot of intelligence to put into a coffee machine, doesn't it? What's it going to do all the rest of the time when it's not making you a coffee? I guess well, it'll start maybe, talking maybe to the, the other devices is, in your house. Yeah, maybe the coffee machine is just a peripheral of this system, and that's just like one thing it can do uh, throughout the entire house. You know? Yeah, that's basically what they're talking about. They're enabling yeah. all the all all the devices in your house with this technology, which I think is a great idea. And and yeah. I do I I love the idea of it being just this kind of ghost in the shell, right? This little uh, character who's living in your house, right? It's in the TV, computer. Now it's in the coffee machine. Now it's in the microwave. I don't know. Or is that kind of scary? Actually, now I'm starting to fear the robots right here at the end. I don't know. <laughs> uh, after we've said don't, right? The whole, okay. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, you know, I'm creeping myself out. Nah, it'll be fun. Inter- it'll, the, it'll be great. the Internet of Things. There, there are some serious private privacy concerns, aren't there? I mean, we, um, to the extent that. Uh, uh, the outside world, the cloud, has uh, access to your stuff. I mean, it's uh, you, you got eyes everywhere to some extent, uh, uh, and 
So I, I don't know. I, I may be, I, I do enjoy, um, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Amazon system, Alexa, but uh, beyond that, I don't, I don't know. So we'll see. We don't, we don't want our personal stuff out there with people looking at it, although we don't right. mind when we get something good out of the deal as long as we don't think about it too much. But when we think about it, then we're like, yeah, how'd they know that? You know, uh, yeah. how, did, how did you get that information on me? It is, a, it, is a, it is a scary area. And the Internet of Things really drives it home and really makes it personal. That's for sure. Well, you know, Amazon, Amazon creeps me out sometimes because, you know, I will have had some thought go through my head about, you know, I'd like to order that sometime. And the next time I'm on Amazon, that thing is front and center as a suggestion. Yeah, I mean it's like it no, it's in my it's in my head, you know. It's in your oh, head, man. Yeah, that is a little well, scary. That is scary. <laughs> <laughs> that it could is. freak you out. Okay, well, yeah. if we're if we're if we're gonna start getting all paranoid, let's just go to other geek. I think because uh, uh, that's the right that's yeah. that's the right frame of mind to be in. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna other geek. Well, uh, I know you've got a couple things. I'm just gonna report back on Ready Player One because you had talked about it. You'd recommended it. I read it and enjoyed it very much. Actually listened to it on Audible. Enjoyed it very much. Fun book. I feel uh, like I really missed out because I guess this book's been out for a few years, about five years now, and uh, should have uh, should have run across it sooner. But great, great fun. Um, just, just basking in 80s trivia, right? It, oh, it really, it, it's, it, it takes it's me back. It's a love letter that to that. Yeah, it's a love letter to... Uh, the the uh, decade of my teenage years yeah. uh, and uh, very very fun very very fun it is it is great fun I I do have some you know a, a few quibbles here and there with the book um, my my primary one being I don't know if this is spoilers or not but the bad guy makes no sense to me at all he's just a mustache twirler you know he's just he, he's just evil for the sake of being evil pretty much I mean. I don't get it, but we could we could get into it another time. Or you know what I'm talking I, about? I, yeah, I do, I do, and it's a little bit, you know, a little bit one dimensional. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested. You know, Steven Spielberg's making this as a movie, uh, right? It's, and it it's coming out uh, in 2018. So uh, I I wonder how uh, he'll uh, uh, he'll handle that. And uh, well, I, and yeah, I wonder how he'll handle all of it. I'm interested yeah, to see back. what it looks like because you've pictured it all in your head, and it'll be interesting to see how it uh, how it looks when somebody like Spielberg gets out of it. I'm sure it's going to look very cool, and you know he's going to oh, be yeah. bringing those movies in. I, the war the war games sequence should be good fun. The Monty Python and the Holy Grail sequence should be a lot of fun. But also the oh, video yeah. games, that, you know, playing uh, uh, playing um, Tempest as we mentioned, and also Joust. <laughs> big, big, important sequences of the book have to do with playing those games. Playing um, a perfect game of Pac-Man. Yeah, you know playing a mean? perfect game of Pac-Man. That's right. <laughs> and you know what's you know what's funny about that is uh, it, when I'm when I'm listening to that section of the book, I had heard all that before. I knew yeah. that it's like someone had stepped me through that whole process at least once before in my life. And not that I ever got close. I, I'm not saying that I was ever even very good at Pac-Man, but. Um, I had a friend in college who was awesome at it, and I believe he uh, more than once um, explained how you would do exactly the thing that they said in the book. It's just, it, it's really, it's really a callback to to another era. Just, just a lot of fun. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, Steve, what do you got for us? Even D and D, even oh, even D and D, it's mentioned. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, D and D plays a big part in it too, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, lots of fun, lots of fun. If you if 
if uh, if you are a geek uh, with a few years on you, you're gonna love uh, you're gonna love Re- Ready Player One. Uh, and I would recommend uh, you know either listening to the Audible book, which is awesome. Will Wheaton does a great job with that. He does. Um, I'll read it before seeing the movie because I think uh, I think you'll enjoy the movie even more having uh, had uh, done the book first. But anyway, um, I'm just guessing. Oh, one other thing I want to say: I listened to Rush 2112 every day of my life from like I don't know my 16th birthday through like I don't know 19 years old something like I mean I listen to that all the time so it, it's very cool that that plays a major part portion of the. Uh, book anyway uh, I, I, I love yeah rush rush is an awesome band and it was uh, a big part of <laughs> big part of my listening experience too uh back there back then but anyway um let me just uh say suggest uh your next uh, sci-fi book phil if you haven't already uh, i recommend you read or listen to we are legion we are bob oh yeah i'm way into it now that was the next one you told me i'm listening to that now Okay, cool. Good. Let me let me I'm do one quick to... compare and contrast, okay? One thing I like about We Are Legion, We Are Bob, um, and I do have some quibbles, but I'll get to the end of it before I before I have problem, you know, any big problems with it. But um, one thing I really like about it is this guy will make a reference to something, and he just lets it pass. The author yeah. of Ready Player One, he knows he's got millennials reading his book, and they don't understand any of this 80s stuff, so anytime something comes up, he has to explain it, right? Right. Uh, in... in, uh, in uh, we are Legion. We are Bob. You got these great sequences, like where he's talking to the guppy, and he says he tells him to do something, and the guppy says, "By your command," and then that's it. There's there's no other reference. You know, he says, "Oh, I think he's growing a sense of humor or something like that." But I was just thinking, in the other book, he would have explained exactly who said "By your command." Yeah, the, where that it, came. The from. reference would have been explained. Yeah, uh, you know, I, you know, and I didn't, I, I didn't find that tiresome at all in Ready Player One because to me, who I understood the references when it was explained, it was just me getting to wallow in it a little more, right? <laughs> yeah. I did, it didn't no, I didn't. It didn't bother me. I, I just, I kind of liked getting somewhere no one was explaining anything. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, if you missed that, sorry, you missed out, but I know what it means. You know, it's just kind of. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Like Captain America, I got that reference. Yeah, yeah. Take that, young people. Yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, well, um, I I, uh, I wanted to do kind of a call out to the uh, uh, state of the Trump uh, speech that was earlier <laughs> this week, right? Um, yes. I I, um, I think our president's call for uh, you know basically saying sending astronauts to distant worlds is not too big of a dream. I love that part and. Uh, and, uh, and it's almost like know, he was listening to the show, you know. Yeah, we, you know, we we had said something about this that like uh, earlier th- earlier this week on Monday the, we said yeah, it's not too. I, I don't. We did not use those words, but I'm telling you, it's close. Okay, what we if you go back close. and listen to the show, we and, said and that I, is I said, uh, that I is not outside Trump, of what we should be thinking about doing. Yeah, yeah well, I, I said about Trump, maybe we need to put that ego to work. You know, about getting exactly. back to the, getting back to space. So yeah, we we almost you know that was almost a called shot. Uh, Almost, sure, so. yes. Almost. Well, there hey, you right, go. I mean, Mussolini made the trains run on time. Hey, maybe Trump can get the rockets to run on time. You know, there you like... go. that's what we want. And so, uh, yeah. At any rate, um, I-, I wanted to mention a book that I uh, I enjoyed. It's a, almost a 20-year-old book now. 1998 it came out. It's uh, The Victorian Internet. 
the remarkable story of the telegraph and the 19th century's online pioneers. Oh, wow. Now, you, you, you would think, well, that's got to be the driest thing in the world. Well, it was actually very, very interesting. I mean, there's whole subcultures around, you know, the, the, the people that could do the keying mm-hmm. and the, how they would communicate to one another when they weren't sending telegrams. And, I mean, those guys were hackers. They were the, they were the guys, man. And uh, um, that, how that subculture, you know, rose and then eventually died as automatic, you know, they started doing automatic uh, uh, telegraphing and things like that. And then the telephone, and, of course, yeah. And then the telephone just pretty much killed it. But, you know, um, there was an afterword that, you know, was tacked on uh, like five years ago that uh, was in the version that I was, I was listening to. That was an audio book for me too. But it said that, you know, that came back and said, well, uh, you would think that, uh, you know, a technology this old, there wouldn't be anything new to report, right? Well, it, um, Western Union finally shut down their telegraph, uh, their telegraph service uh, in 2006. Wow. <laughs> I, I thought that was remarkable. I, it was funny. I, uh, um, when I was dating my wife, um, I needed to get a message to her. And, um, and she was not in a place that had a telephone. And so I was going to send her a telegraph and I, I called and got the price of what it would, you know, I could send her a telegraph back then. Now, it's not, mm-hmm. not an available service anymore, but back then I could, it was like, you know, like almost a hundred bucks to, wow. you know, in early $1990 to send her a telegraph. I, I figured out pretty quick, you know, I hung up the phone with them and then called the florist. Yeah, exactly. Told him to put the message that I wanted on the card, and I said, "With the flowers, you romantic devil!" And you got all kinds of bonus points for sending flowers, right? And saved money in the process. And she got my message, and she got flowers, and it was like twenty bucks instead of like almost a hundred, right? Wow. So, anyway, that's uh, anyway. So, florist, you know, killed the telegraph for me, Phil. The one time in my life I could have sent a telegram. <laughs> you don't need them. You got florists. Yeah, I remember right. at, at one point in the 70s, I sent somebody one like it was a congratulatory thing. And later right. I talked to them. I said, did you get my telegram? And they were like, yeah, they just called me. I was like, oh, that's so lame. You know? Yeah, was, you, wanted, you wanted to actually have... I like, wanted a guy with the hat and the uniform to show up at their door and hand them the piece of paper, right? Yeah. Right. But th- that had already that's that was already gone by the late 70s, at least uh, where, where yeah. I grew up, so... But sounds like a, it sounds like an interesting read. It really was. Um, did you know that there was uh, prior to Morse and all that that the tele, telegraphs the, uh, there were there were visual telegraphs and um, and whole networks of you know you'd have a tower on top of a hill uh, that would that could signal to another tower visually and that was called telegraphs. Oh wow. And there's very, and so like telegraph hill using semaphores. Yeah, very much of a semaphore kind of deal. And so Telegraph Hill, and, and for example, in San Francisco, that had nothing to do with any kind of wired electronic device. That was, uh, it was receiving uh, um, messages from the ships as they were coming in. Oh, how about uh, that? And, wow. and um, back and forth, that was, that's, that was the, prior to the uh, electronic telegraph, that was, that was it. So anyway, some real, real nice stories. Uh, uh, Morse on his deathbed uh, was—I mean, he was a—he was a hero to the world, and his doctor was—you uh, know—came in to came in to examine him, and 
uh, he was kind of tapping his chest to kind of, you know, with a, with a stethoscope and trying, you know, seeing, you know, checking him out. And, uh, he said, uh, uh, Mr. Morris, this is how we doctors, uh, send telegraphs. <laughs> and, and the, the last words of Samuel Morse was, Oh, that's a good one. That's hilarious. And he died. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, you know, just, just some interesting, I mean, these are interesting people and, uh, brought it, brought it to life for me. I do recommend that, that book. Sounds like a good book. I'll have to check that out, but I've got to finish. We are, we are Legion. We are Bob first. So you've, you really got me reading, and I appreciate that, Stephen. All right. Well, hey, it's been a fun, <laughs> been a fun week, and uh, we're going to pick this up on Monday and start it all over again. Again, if you haven't heard everything, just check the archives over the weekend. We should we should be all caught up in the next in the next day or two, and we'll be back on schedule, back on track come Monday. So great talking with you, Stephen. Great being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs>